Hello and welcome to the She Reads Truth Podcast, where we open our Bibles and talk about the beauty, goodness, and truth we find there. I'm your host, Amanda Bible-Williams. And I'm your other host, Rachel Myers. And today we are joined by Dr. Brian Loritz. Dr. Loritz is the teaching pastor at the Summit Church in North Carolina. Y'all, he is an author of seven books, and he spent the bulk of his ministry serving and resourcing the multi-ethnic church. Listen, he co-founded Fellowship Memphis in 2003, and he serves as the president of the Kanos Movement. Y'all are going to love this. It's an organization committed to seeing the multi-ethnic church become the new normal. Y'all, this is week three of our Lent series. We are reading the book of Ezekiel, um, starting in chapter 17 today. And y'all, this series is called the book of Ezekiel, Come to Life. And that is the invitation that we have here. This is especially in this week, we're going to hear that invitation, that starting point of, hey, everything is not fine come to life, come to me, know that I am the Lord. This episode is excellent. And y'all, I want you to know that you can listen to this episode and then join us online in any way that you know we offer it to be a woman in the Word of God with us every day this week. But if you prefer to use a study book and you don't have one yet, I want to remind you that not only do we have physical study books, and you're welcome to order one of those still, but we also have digital study books. And that actually might be a perfect idea because you can download it right now and mark it up as you listen to this episode. You can go to shopshereadstruth.com, and if you use the code LENTPODCAST, you can get 15% off anything in the Lent section of the shop. Y'all, this episode is fantastic. Dr. Loritz is just like a fountain of wisdom, and I really enjoyed it, so I hope you will too. Let's get right to it. Pastor Brian Loritz, welcome to the She Reads Truth Podcast. It's such an honor to have you with us. I have been looking for this for quite some time. It's a privilege to be on with you all. Well, you are so kind to say yes to our invitation. And, you know, it's not a small ask. We're just going to read from the tiny book of Ezekiel today. (laughs) Right, right. (laughs) But it's going to be great. It's God's Word. It's God's Word. Absolutely, absolutely. Before we um, really dig into Ezekiel in the context of Lent, I would love to just hear from you. One of our favorite things about the podcast is that we get to speak with brothers and sisters from around the country and hear from them the way that the Capital C Church is alive and well where they are. You know, we are just meeting for the first time this morning, but I happen to know that you are doing some really important work in North Carolina with Summit Church and with the Kainos Movement. Could you tell us just a little bit about that and what work are you all doing in the kingdom that we can cheer you on with? Yeah, thanks so much. That's a great question. We're new to North Carolina and the Summit Church. We actually moved here two months after the pandemic started in 2020 and three days before George Floyd. So uh, I wouldn't recommend moving in the middle of a pandemic, but we moved from California, so our home was able to sell pretty quickly, and we've gotten settled in just great here. 2020 was a very tumultuous year, as we all know. You, you had the pandemic happening, political stuff happening, and then, of course, racial and cultural things. And a major part, I do three major things at the Summit Church. I'm a teaching pastor, so I'm up uh, anytime between 25 to 30 times a year preaching at the church. I also drive all of what we call our ethnic unity initiatives. 
We have a stated aim of being at least 25% minority by 2025, and I'm helping to lead the charge in that. And then I'm over all of our leadership development, so our interns, apprentices, church planting efforts, so on and so forth. So I had planned on coming here and just kind of easing my way into it. But again, three days before George Floyd, we just had to jump right into it. And we've seen some good, but challenging things happen. So it's been a joy. I have an art print in my office, I think from last Lent, potentially, but it's a quote from the book of Isaiah. And it says, even before they call, I will answer. And it just sounds like that's what the Lord did with you and your church, planting you even before they called and knew they needed you and your leadership, he had already answered that call. That's pretty incredible. Yeah. And, you know, I'm really encouraged to jump in and talk about, you know, it's amazing that you would quote Isaiah, and then we're going to be actually dialoguing over Ezekiel. And the issue of justice is really important. And when we talk about who those, as Dr. King would say, drum majors for justice in the scriptures are, it is the prophets. And Mm -hmm. so for us, to be dialoguing over it is great. Another thing you should know is the most sought-after sermon of the 20th century was a sermon preached by Aretha Franklin's father, C.L. Franklin, and he preached a sermon called The Eagle Stirreth Its Nest. And it was a sermon actually based out of Deuteronomy, but Ezekiel actually uses the imagery of an eagle. And the reason why it was so popular among African Americans is that imagery of an eagle is one in which gives great hope to African Americans who were dealing with so much during the time in which C.L. Franklin is talking. So I'm just excited to jump in. The prophets are phenomenal for many reasons and uh, looking forward to this conversation. I love that. Thank you. Listen, when we find a guest who's excited to dive into a prophet like Ezekiel, we know we've found our people. This is exciting. Well, (laughs) thank you for that update. Our study of Ezekiel is actually our Lent study this year. So every year at She Reads Truth, we do a study for the season of Lent. And we've never read the book of Ezekiel through as a community. And so this is, it did take us 10 years to get to this book as a community. (laughs) We have read parts of it, but we've never read it all the way through together. So in the title of this Lenten study is called Come to Life. A Lenten study of Ezekiel. And we'll actually get to read this week in the week that we're covering here with you, Pastor Brian will get to read from the chapter that inspired that title. So I'm excited about that. But talk to us. So you you have a love for the prophets, for the Old Testament prophets. What are some things that we need to keep in mind as we're reading Ezekiel in terms of his audience, his context. You know, we've talked the last couple of weeks that Ezekiel was an exile among exiles, that he had anticipated being a priest in the temple, and instead now he's a prophet in exile. So we've covered kind of the first, we'll be picking up in chapter 17 today, but, you know, reading the prophets can be tricky for us in 2022. Pastor us through that just a little bit. Yeah, you know, a couple of things that stand out to me about Ezekiel and the prophets, you know, I like to describe the prophets as God's divine show and tell hmm. for his incredible love that he has for us. 
if you just think of the ways he creatively, speaking of God through the prophets, uses the prophets to communicate to us, it's pretty astounding. So, you know, you look at Hosea, for example, and God is just dealing with an adulterous people. So he says, okay, Hosea, I want you to marry a woman who's going to break your heart. And when she does, chapter three, I need you to go again and get her because your marriage is not about your marriage. Your marriage is actually an illustration of my inexhaustible love for my people. So that has direct implications for the moment. But, you know, when Paul tells Timothy in 2 Timothy 3, all scripture is inspired and is profitable, of course, we can take the principle of that and go, man, there's nothing I can do. Like, I'm Gomer. I'm Hosea's wife, right? When we come to Ezekiel, you know, God is pretty much using Ezekiel to demonstrate what theologians would call his immutability, his unchangeableness, the fact that God is the same yesterday, today, and forever, as the writer of Hebrews tells us. One of the creative ways God does that through Ezekiel, he says, look, I want you to strip down naked, leave on your loincloth, lay on your side for 390 days. Now, God isn't being cruel. He's trying to communicate something to us. And what he's trying to communicate is no matter how bad you've blown it, no matter how awful you've been, I'm patient. I'm with you. So that has direct implications, not only to Ezekiel's moment in history, but it also has direct implications to me. And and it gives us great hope that no matter what it is we've done, you know, Paul tells the Ephesians, God just doesn't have mercy. Ephesians chapter two, God's rich In mercy. As I like to say, God has more mercy than we have mess. So that is one of the things, one of the creative ways in which God uses Ezekiel to communicate to us today. I love that. I feel like if the question is like, why read the ancient prophets in 2022? I feel like you just like nailed that question. I love it. I mean, they don't call you Dr. Brian Loritz for nothing. Oh, thank you. Thank you. Before we jump all the way into Ezekiel, because I'm excited, there's a parable of eagles coming up that we're going to get to talk about. But before we do, I do in this third week of Lent, just want to talk with you, Brian, about Lent as a season on the church calendar. It's been fun. Every guest that we've had, I don't know if fun is the right answer for Lent. It's a funny (laughs) season, but it's been interesting with every guest that has joined us for this series to just get to talk about the season of Lent, the church calendar itself, and knowing that it's not something that's prescribed in Scripture. It's drawn from descriptions in Scripture, but it's more of a rhythm for Christian living, right? It's always fascinating to us to get to hear, like, how does your church observe Lent, or do they, or what does, you know, what relationship do y'all have with the church calendar? Yeah, that's a great question. You know, from a personal perspective, you know, the churches I grew up in, I'll say it this way. I don't ever recall hearing the term Lent until I got married. And that's because my wife grew up Catholic. Okay, yeah. So Lent in the Catholic tradition was huge. Now, before we got married, she had converted. And, uh, you know, she would say that she was a nominal Catholic and was not a believer. Mm -hmm. And so she joined our Protestant church, became a follower of Jesus Christ. But 
that rich tradition of Lent was something that she kind of educated me on. I really wasn't that familiar with it. And then a couple of years later, I work in a church where for the first time I'm seeing Lent played out communally. One of the blessings of Lent is something that we corporately do together. I think in the American church, we're way too isolated and individualistic. So for us to come alongside of each other and say, for this season, we're going to experience communal abstinence. You know, it could be we're not going to watch TV or whatever you may choose. I got a buddy of mine who gave up coffee for Lent or whatever your thing is. So it's a communal activity that is voluntary suffering that we are inflicting on ourselves that helps us to redemptively go against the God of comfort, which is so pervasive, at least in an American context. And then we go from that to the joy of Resurrection Sunday. I found it to be an incredible means of grace in my own spiritual formation journey. I like that, a means of grace. It's beautiful to look at something like suffering, or even like you said, like voluntary suffering as a means of grace. Thank you for that. We had a guest last week, Lydia Brownbeck. She was talking with us about Lent in the context of our relationship with the Lord throughout the whole year with God and how sort of identifying like what things are we using to supplement our need for God. And even to the end of like, if we look at the fruit of the Spirit and go like, what do I think it will take Jesus plus what to give me joy or to give me love or to give me patience? And that was really helpful context for me to go like, what am I adding to, not because I enjoy it, but because I feel like I need it in my life. And it helps kind of pull those things away and remember, oh, there's one thing that I need. One thing is necessary. And so it's an interesting season. And I love that you pointed it out as like a communal season. I think that's really good. Absolutely. You know, I, I've i also been challenged greatly as well. You know, I think Lent is something that every believer should for sure seriously consider. Of course, you know, you can get legalistic oh, yeah. about anything. And, you know, Paul warns against that in many of his letters. But on the other side of things, you know, if you look at the early church, they didn't just have seasons of fasting. Yeah, that's true. The rhythm of the early church is they fasted two days out of the week. And so, you know, I'm thankful for the season of Lent, but I've also been wrestling with as a means of spiritual formation is what does it look like for me to have regular rhythms of fasting So good. in which... I am reminding myself that God, the giver, is greater than his good gifts. And so I, I think that, that is oh, something write that again, down. <laughs> that every believer should wrestle with. Oh, I love that. And you're so right. I mean, even the church calendar itself, that's not scriptural. It's just a rhythm for those of us who are a forgetful people. And we need that like reminder on our calendars, like, hey, don't forget, spend some time leading up to Christmas because... Jesus is going to be born, and you don't want to get surprised that you weren't really focused on that. Like, spend a season, not just a day, celebrating the incarnation of God. And likewise with Lent, spend a season looking ahead to the gravity of the cross and, you know, the weightiness of the resurrection. Well, you know, Dallas Willard, he uses an interesting phrase when he talks about discipleship. He talks about apprenticeship to Jesus, and living in the way of Jesus— 
Jesus pulled away to fast and pray consistently. In Matthew 6, Jesus says, when you pray, when you give, when you fast, not if you fast. And so again, I don't want to open the door to legalism. I do think every follower of Jesus who's committed to looking like Jesus has got to wrestle with what does fasting look like in my own life? And then any opportunity you get to do it communally, I think is a beautiful thing. I love that. I mean, I feel like, all right, everybody go. (laughs) It's just like this. um, We haven't even gotten into Ezekiel yet, and I just feel so encouraged. Thank you. I want to talk about the eagles. I am not the band. Um, (laughs) The parable of the eagles in Ezekiel 17, that's our first reading on Monday of this week. And I will admit to you, I had to read this over and over and over again and finally had to start drawing it out Yeah, because I was a little confused. And so, but I did it. And tell me, Dr. Brian, tell me if I'm getting this right. So we have this allegory and scripture says a riddle, which is really accurate because if a riddle is supposed to kind of confuse as well as teach, that worked for me. So we have this Huge eagle with powerful wings. This is Ezekiel 17.3, and this is the Lord speaking to Ezekiel. This is what the Lord says. A huge eagle with powerful wings, long feathers, and full plumage of many colors came to Lebanon and took the top of the cedar. So this huge eagle is King Nebuchadnezzar and Babylon, and he is taking this top of the cedar of Lebanon And that is representing Judah being taken into exile. I think I've got it so far. And then, (laughs) so he he takes the topmost shoot, he brings it to the land of merchants, and he sets it in a city of traders. And then he, the eagle, took some of the land seed and put it in a fertile field. He set it like a willow and planted by abundant water. It sprouted and became, instead of the tall cedar, it's now a spreading vine, low in height, with its branches turned toward him, yet its roots stayed under it. So it became a vine. It produced branches and sent out its shoots. So This, the vine is the part where I was just like, I don't really understand what's happening. And the study that I did said that this is, this represents Nebuchadnezzar instilling a king of his choosing, a leader of his choosing over Jerusalem, which was Zedekiah. Mm -hmm. Yes. Mm -hmm. You're doing it. But then Zedekiah in verse seven, then there was another huge eagle. This is Egypt. Mm -hmm with powerful wings and thick plumage, and the vine started bending its roots to this eagle. So, first question, (laughs) is that right? (laughs) And second, let's talk about what's going on here. Well, and it's important to say here, Amanda, that like this is not just like Amanda's brain trying to work through this. Like this is Amanda using scriptural context, history, study tools. This isn't just like, this is my guess. And study Bibles. I I know how hard you worked to come to that. (laughs) And so my answer, I know you're not asking me, but it's like, yeah, I think so. No, I I think there is, uh, look, a major question you have to ask, you know, we would call this hermeneutics, is before Mm -hmm. you can ask, what does it mean to me? Mm -hmm. What did it mean to them in their original context? And Here, I think it's really clear, of course, the Babylon point. And then later on, he talks about Pharaoh in Egypt 
as well. All right. And so I think maybe we can get to the the broader point in a bit, but I think one of the broader messages is God's profound care, even for his rebellious people who are going into the Babylonian exile, that God mm-hmm. will not give up on them even when they are in exile. That's right. That's right. Praise the Lord. Well, and, you know, there's this lie that we see through Ezekiel, through the false prophets, that everything is fine. Yeah. <laughs> yes. And this is another illustration that everything is not fine. Yes, you may have an alliance in Egypt, but that is not going to work out for you. That's not going to go well. But if we turn toward the end of this chapter, we get a really beautiful it reads like a poem. Yeah. It reads to me like a messianic prophecy, starting in verse 22. Is that fair to say, Pastor Brian? Absolutely. Will you read it for us? Yeah. Absolutely. Pastor Brian, I know you're reading from ESV, but I love hearing it from different translations. If you'd read 22 through 24. Absolutely. This says the Lord God. I myself will take a sprig from the lofty top of the cedar and will set it out. I will break off from the topmost of its young twigs a tender one, and I myself will plant it on a high and lofty mountain. On the mountain height of Israel will I plant it, that it may bear branches and produce fruit and become a noble cedar. And under it will dwell every kind of bird in the shade of its branches. Birds of every sort will Mm. nest, and all the trees of the field shall know that I am the Lord." I will bring low the high tree and make high the low tree, dry up the green tree and make the dry tree flourish. I am the Lord, I have spoken, and I will do it. And I take this to mean when he talks about every kind of bird, you know, this is a picture of the kingdom of heaven and how the kingdom of heaven will encompass not just one ethnic group or people group. It will be Jews and Gentiles. And of course, Paul picks up on this when he talks about in Romans, the grafting in. This is imagery Paul uses of the shoot, how that will be grafted in to the larger plant there. So, That's yes. right. That birds of every kind will nest under it. So beautiful. And then that echo that we keep hearing through the book of Ezekiel. And then again, it says in verse 24, then all the trees of the field will know that I am the Lord. Through Hmm. these first 17 chapters, we keep hearing God say, then you will know that I am the Lord. And I love here, then all the trees of the field will know that I am the Lord. It's so beautiful. I'm so thankful for You know, even if you were just to give, if someone were like, talk to me about the book of Ezekiel, what's it like? You know, the words that would come to mind for me would be heavy, dark, (laughs) judgment. (laughs) Like it would be things like that. And, and the thing is though, if you look for it, you know, we had Lydia Brownback was with us last week reading with us and she was so enthusiastic about finding these, these glimmers of hope and the thread of hope through this. And it, And it really is there, even in all of the judgment. And so I'm just, I'm so grateful. And again, when we go, you know, Tuesday's reading, we're in Ezekiel 18, which is, it is just a reiteration after reiteration that we are personally responsible for our sin, which you know, the concept of generational sin is something that was present in this, in this day and time. 
And so was this a pretty radical thing then, Pastor Brian, to say, you're not going to be punished for your father's set. You're going to be punished for yours. I think so. You know, and, and again, I think zooming out, I think one of the things we as believers can hold on to, oftentimes we mistake grace mm-hmm. as the absence of God's discipline. And I think what the Babylonian exile teaches us is God holds us accountable, but he's not banishing us. He's not getting rid of us, that we'll feel some consequences. God, unlike anybody else, has the unique ability to take our rebellion, to take our sin, and to still advance his purposes out of it. So you just stop and think. If you press fast forward during the Babylonian exile, I believe Daniel chapter 4, Nebuchadnezzar comes to saving faith in God. We see him worshiping the Most High. Why? Because of the influence of an Mm -hmm. exile named Daniel, whose parents are being held accountable for their sin. The very judgment we're seeing in exile, God still uses to advance his divine purposes here on earth. So it's a sobering, weighty, serious thing that causes us to go, hey, I want to walk in holiness because God takes sin seriously, but it's also filled with hope that even not if I blow it, but when I blow it, God's not going to give up on me. exactly right. It's this second generation of exiles who are just kind of going like, this isn't fair. In fact, I think in verse 25 of 18, they say, the Lord's way isn't fair, that we are being punished for our parents' sins. And at the start of the chapter, you know, the word of the Lord came to Ezekiel and and said, here's what you need to tell them. Stop using that proverb. Stop saying the father eats sour grapes and the children's teeth are set on edge. I actually opened up the message paraphrase of this. I'm always curious. And the phrase instead was, the parents ate green apples and the children got a stomach ache. But the thing is, you know, he was saying, like, as I live, you will no longer use this proverb in Israel. The person who sins is the one who will die. And I was thinking about that. And likewise, and I love this, like that glimmer of hope. Yes, the person who sins is the one who will die is what God is saying. He's not saying, you're not paying for your parents' sins right now. You're paying for your own sins. Likewise, the one who repents is the one who will live. And like that's the beauty and the freedom of choosing God, of coming to life, because He is the only one who can bring us to life. Mm -hmm. There at the end of chapter 18, in verse 30, Therefore, and this is after Rachel, where they're saying, this is unfair. Yep. <laughs> um, verse 30 says, therefore, house of Israel, I will judge each of you according to his ways. This is the declaration of the Lord. Repent and turn from all your rebellious acts so they will not become a sinful stumbling block to you. Throw off all the transgressions you have committed and get yourselves a new heart and a new spirit. Why should you die, house of Israel? For I take no pleasure in anyone's death. This is the declaration of the Lord God. So repent and live. And this is the passage that inspired the title of, of our study, Come to Life. This is, this is the invitation mm-hmm. is for us to come to life. But what I love, what I'm so, so thankful for is not just the invitation, but the path to accept it, mm-hmm. <laughs> that where God says here, get yourselves a new heart and a new spirit, we're going to see in the key verse where he says, I will give you 
a new heart. I will remove your heart of stone and I will give you a heart of flesh. And so it is this tension that we are going to always hold until glory of the Lord pursues and makes a way for us and draws us to himself and also requires of us the action of turning toward him and repenting of our sin. And so it gets me fired up. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's right. I know my camera's I mean, takes off, but a... my arms are waving everywhere, just so you know. <laughs> but it takes us straight to Romans 1. that says, For I am not ashamed of the gospel, because it's the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, first to the Jew and also to the Greek. So that's the extension there. For in it, the righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith, just as it is written, the righteous will live by faith. Not that the righteous will live by their parents' faith. Or their parents' lack of faith, right? Right. Right. And the thing that I love about Ezekiel, very similar to Jeremiah, you know, both are going to deal with the promise of the new covenant. And the new covenant is all about a new circumcised heart. You know, this whole idea that God's going to rip out our heart of stone and give us a heart of flesh. You know, when we look at kind of the spirit of religion, which is different than the gospel, right? Religion is very works-based. It's behavior modification. It's, you know, law-based. You know, you perform, you do, it's your work. But the gospel is a completely different operating system. Religion works from the outside and never gets in. The gospel begins on the inside and the thought that you don't have the capacity in your own strength to do enough. No amount of giving, tithing, no amount of quiet times is ever going to pay off your debt and make you righteous. What makes you righteous is what happens on the cross when the righteousness of Jesus Christ was imputed to us and we were given a new heart. And it's from that heart that we have now a new set of desires, a new set of of behaviors. That's why, in fact, I'm preaching on it this Sunday. You know, the telltale sign of whether or not you're a believer, it's not that you don't sin. We all sin. The telltale sign is, do you have a desire for the things of God? When you do sin, is there conviction over your sin? Because these things point to a heart that has been redeemed. I love this, Dr. Lawrence, because fasting does not a believer make, right? Prayer does not believe. Like these spiritual disciplines are not the goal. They're not the thing that make us. That's religion, right? And I love that you described it as an operating system. Like this just is only outside. Like let's start from the inside and then let it flow out. And then, like you said, like if what we really care about is the cross and the resurrection, that changes the way we live. And that's like what pours out of that is, you said, desire. Like our desire to be like Christ, then we go to the word. How did Christ live? Oh, he said, when you fast, or he said, when you pray. So all of a sudden, we're coming out of this desire to serve and live like the one who bled and died and resurrected for us. You know, even David got that right, you know, in Psalm 51, as he is grieving over his sin with Bathsheba, he doesn't say, created me a new set of behaviors. That's right. He says, created me a new heart. Oh, God. David understood that that he had a heart problem. And the other thing I love about that is 
David understood that he could not get to his heart. It's sort of like if I go to the doctor and the doctor says, hey, you've been eating really bad and we're looking at your heart, you're going to need a triple bypass. Like, I can't fix my heart. The doctor is going to have to do that. I am totally incapable. Mm -hmm. Now, coming out of that, do I need some new behaviors? Absolutely. I'm going to have to eat differently, exercise, things of that nature. But it starts with me depending on someone to do something for me that I cannot do for myself. And that's why we need a Savior. That's right. That's right. Which takes us truly, like naturally, into Ezekiel chapter 20. And this look at, and we're kind of nearing the end of those first 24 chapters. The Lord through Ezekiel is sort of pronouncing judgment on Judah. We'll soon go to judgment on the nations, but we're kind of nearing the end of that. But this discussion about the idols are not just something that were an issue in the exile, not just an issue, let's say, in the Exodus, um, which is what we touch on here in chapter 20, but they're also, that's the heart of our rebellion today, that idolatrous heart. We, on the first day of Lent this season, Day one, we didn't even spend much time in the actual book of Ezekiel. We started in Genesis 3, and we said, let's start with the beginning. Let's start with the original sin and the idolatry of our heart and asking, does God really want what's best for me? Maybe I need to supplement what He has for me with you know, my own ideas, my own things. And so I look at, I actually want to read some of Ezekiel chapter 20 because there is this beautiful history lesson. It says in starting in verse 5, this is what the Lord God says, on the day I chose Israel, I swore an oath to the descendants of Jacob's house and made myself known to them in the land of Egypt. I swore to them saying, I am the Lord your God. On that day, I swore to them I would bring them out of the land of Egypt into a land that I had searched out for them, a land flowing with milk and honey, the most beautiful of all lands. I also said to them, throw away each of you the abhorrent things that you prize and do not defile yourselves with the idols of Egypt. I am the Lord your God. And y'all, as you read day 17 this week, think of this as a history lesson, but not just to Ezekiel's audience, but see this as your history lesson as well, because we are grafted, Jew or Gentile, we are grafted into God's family. This is our history. And he's saying, from the beginning, from the beginning of establishing you as my household, I told you that I'm the Lord your God and to throw away your idols. And then he goes on, and, and it's actually interesting. I love you know that 13 through 16 section, verses 13 through 16, where he reminds them of Moses even kind of going to bat on their behalf and going, you know, please don't destroy them. Think about what the nations will think. And God says, so I considered pouring out my wrath on them in the wilderness to put an end to them, but I acted for the sake of my name so that it would not be profaned in the eyes of the nations in whose sight I had brought them out. I know that I'm talking a lot right now, but I want to think about idols as the source of Israel's rebellion and that being sort of part of our genesis, literally, and and all the way to now. Talk to us about that a little bit, Dr. Laura. It's like, where are we still having the same patterns that Ezekiel's audience did? Yeah. Dr. Tim Keller says, an idol is anything, even a good thing, that's become an ultimate thing. You know, some theologians have called idols disordered loves, right? So anything can become an idol. 
You know, money can become an idol. Is money a bad thing? No, it's not. The Bible never condemns money. It condemns the love of money. But when money becomes an ultimate thing, where my ultimate sense of value, meaning, joy hangs on it, I've just pointed out an idol. Some people listening, your kids have become your idol. You know, should we love our kids? Absolutely. Should we sacrifice for our kids? Absolutely. But we shouldn't hang our ultimate sense of joy and meaning and happiness on our kids. And listen, I got three sons. My youngest especially is cycling through the AAU basketball circuit. And you want to see idolatry in action. It's just look at some of these parents and the way they go berserk <laughs> and nuts at ball games, yeah. right? And we organize our whole lives around it. We yell and fuss at referees and coaches, our kids around it. You know, should we show up for our kids' games? Yes, we're appropriate. Should we be emotionally invested? Yes, we're appropriate. But at whatever point my kids' performance my ultimate sense of value and meaning hangs on how many points they score. That's an idol. And so, listen, I could keep going on and on and on, but our hearts are idol factories, and we all have idols that we deal with. I'll end with this. Tim Keller says, idols cannot be removed, just replaced. Mm. The question is not, are you worshiping something? The question is, who are you worshiping? And is that who the right one, Jesus Christ? Because we have all been created to give worship to someone or something. And if it's not Jesus, it's an idol. That's so good. That's so helpful. Where do we want to go from here? I know that we're running out of time, and I always get to like this point in the episode, and I want to think about, okay, I know that those listening, our hope at least, is that y'all in your you know, endeavor to be women in the Word of God every day this week and men in the Word of God every day this week, that y'all will be reading all the things that we're not, of course, but it is hopefully helpful to dig in on some of these topics. You'll see in Ezekiel chapter 21, the third sign act of the book of Ezekiel. And if you have your study books, y'all, um, you can go back. This is, you know, what we said at the beginning. Go back to that page 17 extra about sign acts, and you can kind of get a little bit of explanation about what's happening in Ezekiel 21. He's drawing a map that includes a signpost at a fork between the two roads. One road points to Rabbah, and the other points to Jerusalem, and he's living like it's like street theater, where he's actually doing these things. He's not telling parables. That happens in the book of Ezekiel as well. But he's physically going and doing these things as a way to show, to get their attention and to show Israel, like, this is what, pay attention. At the end of the day, know that the Lord is God and put your idols to bed. (laughs) This week of reading, once again, (laughs) our last chapter that we read well, last couple chapters that we read on the last on Friday of this week, it leaves us hanging again. You know, we're gonna read chapters twenty-two and some of twenty-three, and there's nothing tidy here. But what I would love for us to talk about as we sign off here is that in chapter twenty-two, again, this is not God being unfair. This is the Lord being who He is fully all the time. That's right. What struck me in verse 6 
The Lord says, look, every prince of Israel within you has used his strength to shed blood. Father and mother are treated with contempt and the resident alien is exploited within you. The fatherless and widow are oppressed in you. You despise my holy things and profane my Sabbaths. There are men within you who slander in order to shed blood. People who live in you eat at the mountain shrines. They commit depraved acts within you. And it keeps going on and on. And again, Rachel, I just keep thinking of that, you know, you'd said that the paraphrase in the message was, everything is not fine. (laughs) And that's what I hear the Lord saying is like, this is not okay. And not only that, I will not stand for it, and I will not let it continue. And in verse 12, he says, forwards, you have forgotten me. And that is just heartbreaking. It's just heartbreaking. And so what I would love, Pastor Brian, if you would help us once again to, where is the hope in this judgment? Because it's there, because God is who He is all the time, right? Yes, absolutely. I would say several things. Again, I would say that God's judgment is actually a sign of His grace. Mm. You know, over in Hebrews, it says, whom the Lord loves, He disciplines. You know, if you call yourself a follower of Jesus Christ and you never experience any kind of discipline from your Father, that's actually concerning right? You know, if I'm babysitting someone else's kids, I'm not going to discipline them because they're they're not yeah, my kids, yeah. right? But a sign that I love my kids is they experience consequences for their behavior because I care about them. So God's discipline, it doesn't feel good. Scriptures are very clear on that. But I think there's even hope paradoxically speaking, in the fact that he disciplines us. I think the second sign of hope is, listen, Israel's shortcomings actually opened a door for Gentiles to come to faith in Jesus. I'm guessing that many of the people listening are ethnic Gentiles. We are in the family of faith right now, engrafted in. We represent those birds of all kinds because God's discipline opened a doorway for salvation to come to the world. And then thirdly, I would say the great sign of hope in Ezekiel is we've been given a new heart. And this new heart gives us a whole new set of desires. It doesn't make us perfect, but it gives us the ability and the capacity to live out all that God has called us to live out. That's right. Man, oh man, that, that's such a beautiful way to conclude this week. But even finding hope in the prophets, just in general. Thank you so yes. much for that. For those of you who do have study books, I'm excited for you to get to turn the page after this week and find there's a hymn by George Matheson called, Oh, Love That Will Not Let Me Go. And I know some of y'all like to actually like open this up and put it on your piano and, and play it and sing it. And some of you just like to read the, read the lyrics. But whatever you do, I think it's just such a beautiful worship to flow out of this week that 
first line, O love that will not let me go, I rest my weary soul in thee. I give thee back the life I owe, that in thine ocean depths its flow may richer, fuller be. And it goes on, and I encourage you to read it. For now, I know we need to close. I know we're out of time. Pastor Brian, we have a tradition on the She Reads Truth podcast, and this may catch you by surprise, but I actually am not worried about that because I know this is just going to come out of you really beautifully. We have a tradition after having spent an hour opening Scripture and looking at the beauty, goodness, and truth that we found there. We like to look up and at each other, and so I want to know from you, Dr. Lawrence, where in your life are you seeing beauty, goodness, and or truth that is pointing you to Jesus right now. Wow, that is a really good question. Where in my life am I feeling or seeing beauty, goodness, and truth? I'm seeing it with my children. My two oldest are out of the house, hashtag adulting. <laughs> and my middle son's in college. My other son just got back in college, my oldest. He had taken some time off. And It's always great when your young adult children call you and tell you they've just been to church, they found a great church, they're walking with Jesus. That's huge, right? Because as a parent, getting back to what we just talked about in Ezekiel, we can't get to their hearts. We can't. We have to, the best parenting you do is from your knees and entrusting them to a Savior And to see God do that is a tremendous sign of his beauty, goodness, and truth. I love that. Amen. Best parenting you can do is on your knees. That is real. I want to thank you for this time. Thank you for coming on. Well, thank you for having me. And I also want to just encourage our listeners, don't forget we are, you know, as we're coming out of this week, right now you're probably listening to this on a Monday, the day it releases, so you're actually coming out of a Sunday. Don't forget we're uh, memorizing right now three verses from the book of Ezekiel together as a community. So we're memorizing Ezekiel 36, 26 through 28. And so spend a little bit of time working on that this week, and and I'll check in with y'all again next week. And you know, next week, actually, we are going to be joined by one of your favorites, I think. Kelly Minter is joining us for week four of Ezekiel. We're excited about that. Listen, be a woman in the Word of God every day this week, not because Bible reading is your goal. Be a woman in the Word of God every day this week because of the grace of God that points you and draws you to Him in His Word, and you'll find Him there. I encourage you in those things. Listen, we will see you next week, but until then, Dr. Loritz, what do we tell our friends? Keep opening your Bible. <laughs>